want to say welcome back after Easter. It, says, it seems like to me it's been more than a week, but we are glad that you're here. We had a great Easter week with, at ZBC and a great Easter Sunday, and thank you for sharing with us if you were able to do that last week. Uh, they're figuring out the lines. Thank you, Stuart. Since we spent uh, two weeks in the Gospels over Palm Sunday and Easter, we were in Matthew and John. Uh, we're going to go back to David today. We're doing this series, which will go on for about one more month. David is a man after God's own heart. And so back in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we, where we were before Easter, we learned that David saw Bathsheba. David had Bathsheba brought to him. Soon she became pregnant. And then he had her husband, Uriah, killed in battle. Nathan, his prophet, knew what had happened. He confronted him, told him his story. And when David was angry at the man in the story, Nathan said, you are the man. David could have tried to cover it up or gotten rid of Nathan, but instead, when caught, he simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. So now, the week after Easter, we move to the Psalms, and we come here to Psalm 51, one of the most famous Psalms of David. It is attributed to him after Nathan had come to him about Bathsheba, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment." Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. Most loving God, here gathered as your people, as we look back on Easter week, we are grateful again for your mercy, grace, and love to see the world through your eyes. Help us to receive again that grace 
today as we learn from the Psalms. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when we read the Bible, it is most often God speaking to us, speaking through narrative, uh, through story, or maybe speaking a little more directly in the way that the Bible is written. And yet here in Psalm 51, as in many of the Psalms, we see someone speaking directly to God. We see David speaking to God. These are the words that we just read that are attributed to him, and these words are very personal. As I thought about that over the last couple of weeks, I wanted to ask you this question, sort of a rhetorical question because I do this. Do you ever look over the shoulder of a family member, maybe when they're on their phone and see what's on their phone, maybe, you know, reading their text or their Instagram? Because I've done that to my kids and they don't really like that very much. They usually hide their phone from me if I look over their shoulder. The reason I tell you that, because Philip Yancey, who's a Christian author, he says when we read the Psalms, especially a Psalm like Psalm 51, we are looking over the shoulders of people's prayers. In this case of David's confession, of David's conversation with God, or David's journaling, writing to God, and we get to read it and kind of get a glimpse to David's mind and David's heart. And it's all about uh, confession and forgiveness. As I was preparing for this, I looked up several sources, and one source I found was a pastor named Ray Stedman. He was teaching on Psalm 51, and he talked about needing forgiveness. And this little story is appropriate as we are just finished with tax season. He said, I read once of a man who wrote a letter to the IRS and said, I haven't been able to sleep because last year when I filled out my income tax report, I deliberately misrepresented my income. I am enclosing a check for $150. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> so, Stebner goes on to say that's one way of handling a bad conscience, but it probably will not work. Really, the way that works is to confess. And so we can learn from David in this prayer, in this psalm, about how to draw closer to God. I was also reading from Warren Wiersbe. He's a Bible scholar, and he wrote about the Psalms. He wrote about Psalm 51, and he says, really, there's a way to kind of look at this psalm into three parts. And I thought this would be a, a way, a memorable way for us in this short time we have together today to look at and to remember some key things we might take home from Psalm 51. So here's the way Warren Wiersbe divides it. First, cleanse me. Verses 1 through 7, mostly about being clean from sin. Cleanse me. Verses 8 through 12, restore me. Restore me in verses 8 through 12. And then at the end of the psalm, verses 13 through 19, use me. Cleanse me. Restore me. Use me. And so let's look at those three and dive deeper into each one. First, cleanse me, verses 1 through 7. Here David uses at least four descriptions for sin, and he talks about it in various ways over these verses. He calls it iniquity, sin, transgressions, and that he has done evil. Four ways to name sin, but one author I read says, there are 19 verbs that David uses to declare God's action of forgiveness and restoration. So four ways to talk about sin, really 19 verbs, 19 ways to talk about forgiveness and restoration. And so Eugene Peterson says about this, 
We have a finite number of ways to sin, but God has an infinite number of ways to forgive. We have a finite number of ways to sin, but God is infinite in forgiving us of, his, of our sin. David is also incredibly personal in this psalm. He's asking God with these verbs, using these verbs to forgive. He's asking God, one almost compelling God to forgive him. And so one thing we can learn from this psalm and really about prayer in general is to be personal. God wants us to be personal. God calls us to, to relate to him, to talk to him, to ask of him, to be quiet and to listen to him. And because David is honest and open in this example that is saved in our scriptures, we too can do the same. We can be honest and open with God. And when we ask humbly for forgiveness, as David did, God forgives. When we ask God to forgive, it does not make us less than. It might make us embarrassed to confess sin, to bring it up again, something maybe we had hidden, but it does not lower us. It does not make us less than. Eugene Peterson says, says this. I love this. a great quote. He says, we're not less but more when we confess. We're not demeaned but dignified. When we confess, we're not condemned but saved. That's a great reminder. We're not demeaned but dignified. We're not condemned but saved when we confess to God. Another thing we can learn from David is to try not to cover over our sin. Just as David said back in 2 Samuel, simply, I have sinned against the Lord without excuses. Here, too, he does not make excuses. It's really a heartfelt confession where he asks God to cleanse him, restore him, and use him. Again, in this first part, cleanse him in verses 1 through 6. He has various ways that he asks for forgiveness, where some of these verbs come up of what he's asking God to do. David asks for mercy. This is in verses 1 and 2. He prays directly to God. God, give me your mercy. According to your great compassion and your unfailing love, wash away my sin, cleanse me of my sin. Verses 3 through 6. I know my transgressions. David is speaking of himself. I know my transgressions, the things I have messed up. My sin is always before me. It's in your sight. You've seen it too. I have sinned and I have done evil. There's that confession part. And then go back to God. You are proved right. I was sinful at birth as we all are in a sense of original sin. But you, O oh God, desire truth and teach wisdom. These are action words. You know, David's a man of action. And here, even in his prayers, in his written prayers in this psalm, he, these are action words. David is asking to to be made clean, to be made right and new. And washing and cleansing gets rid of the dirt that we might feel. And so David talks very physically here in some ways. We'll get to a few more of those later, but washing and cleansing gets rid of the dirt maybe in our lives. Or when we, when we know we have done something wrong and it just feels wrong, it feels bad, and it feels better to get it out before God. So to say with David, cleanse me, Oh, God, as he did in those first seven verses. So cleanse me in the next, restore me. This is in verses 8 through 12, maybe a little more familiar part of the psalm and a turning point as, God, as, as David goes to God, more from cleansing to restoring me. He wants to be made new, not only clean, but be made new. He uses words like restore, create, and renew. He has several requests in this middle part of the psalm. Here are some of those now. And I think these things can make us 
closer to God's will. As we pray, we want to align ourselves with God's will. What does God want for me? What does God want me to be like? If I can try to pray in a similar way that I'm trying to align myself with God, here's what David's requests are, um, several of them, especially those here in the middle. Cleanse me. Let me hear joy and gladness. He wants to hear joy and gladness. Let my bones rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, O God. Blot out, cover up, in a sense, my iniquity. Make them clean. Create in me a clean heart. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me joy, the joy of your salvation. Restore to me and grant me a willing spirit. Right in the middle of the psalm is maybe the most famous verse of all. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And the word for create here is the same word for creation used in Genesis 1. David truly wants God to make him new, to create him in him a new heart. We also need new hearts in us, and we need restoration of joy when things have gone wrong in our lives, when we've made mistakes, if we've hurt someone, we feel terrible about ourselves. We, we too, like David, can ask to be restored to joy. That's something that God wants for us. God is a giver of joy. And we also want a willing spirit that David prays for to, to follow through on this, on this. This can happen when we take time to be quiet uh, with God. One of the things is I was picturing uh, David in this psalm, and David, uh, there, there's times where he would go alone uh, to pray. And I picture him praying before God and saying these kinds of words in his own language before God, and then going back perhaps, and then taking out pen and, and paper and writing down some of those words, writing down that I want to I save this, I want to write this down, that that would take time, it would take quiet, it would take effort. Uh, and so those are kind of things we can do in prayer as well. It was, I was, as I was thinking about that over the last couple of weeks, I, I thought of Alan Fadling. Alan Fadling was a guest speaker that was here in October of 2021, and Jerry invited him to come and speak. He's written a couple of books, one of which I've really enjoyed uh, about an unhurried life. He spoke here on a Saturday and then preached on a Sunday morning about going the pace of grace, slowing down and being quiet to be with God. He talked about that sometimes the American sense of hurry and accomplishment can lead us into being restless instead of restful, being restless instead of restful. And he said that David's uh, example of prayer here is an example of an opportunity to slow down and pray. So here are some things that Alan Fadling said about what we might do to go the, the pace of grace instead of living too much of a hurried life. And we, when we can go more that pace, we can connect more with God. He says when we're too busy or when we're hurried, it leads us to be anxious, agitated, distracted, even unhappy and numb. And these things can make us move away from God or forget about God or, or simply miss God because we're too busy. Things are too loud. We can't hear from God. But if, if we go at the pace of grace, we can have restoration and renewal. God can recreate us, if you will. We can be awake and receptive to what God wants us to hear. Going at a pace of grace can make us more content, have a sense of peace, and have margin for God, time for God, God to speak to us as we're quiet before Him, or for us to speak to God. 
and honestly, margin for others as well, for maybe those holy interruptions when someone needs to speak to us or needs us as well, or when we need to speak to someone else. I love practical ideas about how to do some of these things too, and so Alan Fadling in his book, he talked about EPC. I'm like, you know, what's that? I think that's another Presbyterian denomination, EPC, which I actually believe it is, but he says it's something else. It's extended personal communion with God. That was a really kind of big phrase where he, he talked about it quite a bit, but it's basically solitude and silence, taking time with God, but extended so extended personal communion with God. He talks about taking a day with God. And I tell you, I, I'm lucky and blessed because being a pastor here at ZBC, sometimes I can take a day with God. I can check out of the office, make sure I've got my things done a day ahead, and go take a day to, to walk in a park or hike or be alone or to go to a, a library or a quiet place just to read and to pray and to think and, and try to listen. And that's the kind of thing that Fadling talks about. And you may say, well, I can't take a day. I encourage you to take a morning or an afternoon. If you can't do that, start with an hour or 30 minutes. And if you're, if you're like me, sometimes at home, I can't sit still. Start with a quiet walk in your neighborhood or in a favorite park or place. And in that, try to be alone with God, alone with your thoughts, and reflect on if God brings things to mind that He might want you to talk to Him about. A couple of the songs we sang that Jesus is calling us. Jesus is calling us to come to the table and to be with Him. And Jesus says this in Mark 6.31, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Again, Jesus says, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. <clears throat> How does this relate to confession? Well, when we are quiet with God, we can hear from God, and we have a sense maybe that He can draw some things um, to our attention that we need to think about again. You might quiet, as I have done sometimes in a sense of quiet, thought, you know what? I had that opportunity, and I blew it. I missed it. I said the wrong thing. I shouldn't have said that. I forgot to do that thing I was planning to do or, or that, that I was going to follow up on something, and I missed it. I made a promise to do something with my family, and I got too busy, and I didn't do it. I didn't follow through. I don't need to make excuses. I need to go back and tell them that I am sorry and confess to God that I have messed up. When we do, we can be like a sense in the song that Jason led us in right before the sermon that we are repenting, that we are saying we're sorry. And so repentance really means to turn around and go in the other direction means to go in a different direction. If I'm going in this direction and I realize this is the wrong way, God helps us to repent, to turn around and go in the other direction, to be renewed and restored with God. A friend of mine in my Tuesday morning home group said a speaker at a conference was, said he was going to tell them the most important thing that they could hear as Christian leaders and he did a good job of uh, by getting them ready, by talking to them about that, and he got them on the edge of their seats. And so what was it that was so important? He said this, for Christians of all kinds and Christian leaders, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. The heart is the center of who we are. It is the beginning of our thoughts, our words, our actions, <clears throat> and our hearts are often under attack to do the wrong things, just as David found out when he didn't guard his heart and he let his passions run. 
So our hearts must be made new by God in confession. They can be made new. And David knew the importance of the heart. why I brought this up is because he uses the word heart three times here in this NRSV translation. In verse 6, it says, the heart is a secret place for wisdom. Think about that. The heart is a secret place for wisdom. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, a new heart, O God. In verse 17, when we have sinned, we can bring our hearts, a contrite heart, as a sacrifice to God. So, we need heart transplants, and God can do miracles. And so, if we feel we have a hard heart or our heart's in the wrong place, we can ask God to make our hearts new, and God can cleanse us, restore us, and use us. So, finally, cleanse me, restore me, use me, verses 13 through 19. David here talks about using, he says, use me, O God, turn around from my own way, old ways, turn to new ways. He says he wants God to use him to teach others God's ways so that sinners, he talks about, will turn back to you. And it's, it's very active for David. David was a man of action. And so we need to be physically changed as well. David, especially kind of in this last part, but in a couple of places throughout the psalm, uses physical references. Here are a few of those. He says, my crushed bones should rejoice. My tongue should sing. My lips will praise you, and my broken heart really is a sacrifice to you. But it's not only physical, it's spiritual as well. He wants a right spirit with God, inspiring him and inspiring us to turn to God. Here's another way to think about it that I read this past couple of weeks. We might pray, God, restore me on the inside in my inner life, so that my heart is changed, so that my physical life, my outer life, can be used for you. God, restore my inner life so that my outer life can be used for you. During the pandemic in the last two-plus years, uh, they've been hard times probably for all of us in some ways. Physically and spiritually, life has been hard. And just a little over a week ago, I was watching a Good Friday concert that was broadcast online. It was with Chris Tomlin, and he brought out Max Lucado as the speaker, as a famous Christian author and speaker. And he talked a little bit about the pandemic and the hope that we have in the cross, but not only the cross, but the resurrection of Jesus, as we heard about at Easter. But he said we need that hope because over the last two years, we've been weary and wounded and worried. And probably all of us can relate to at least one of those. We felt weary Maybe we've been wounded. Maybe we've worried. And those kinds of things make us feel weak. But the Bible tells us that when we are weak, that is the time when we can draw closest to God. When we are weary or wounded, those are the times when we can draw closest to God. Because those are the time God wants us to draw into Him, to go to Him in prayer. And so maybe for you, you're saying, Scott, you know, I don't have any... I have some small sins I certainly could confess every day, but maybe there's nothing big on my heart right now, but maybe you feel some weakness or some wound or some uh, um, sense of weariness in your life. You can tell God about those things as well in your quiet time of prayer, and God will be there for you. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of, of a story when I felt that way. When I was at Fuller Seminary, and I had just started seminary, and I've said before, I, I realized, I don't know why I didn't realize this until I got there, but I moved to California from Texas to go to seminary, to Pasadena, California, to Fuller Seminary, and when I got there, I'm like, you know, 
California is the most populous state in the country, and I don't know one single person in the state of California. So pretty quickly, I moved into an apartment by myself, kind of felt alone and lonely. It was crickets. It was quiet. And uh, started wondering, should I even be here? And so I uh, had some things as you have the quiet time, start thinking things uh, that I maybe needed to confess to someone, that I, here I am, I'm studying at seminary, should I be doing this? All those kind of thoughts. And I took a risk and I called Daryl. I wouldn't even say Daryl was a friend of mine yet, but he had someone I had met in the first two weeks of seminary. He lived in the same apartment complex. This was a long time ago, so I had to pick up the landline. I had to know his phone number and dial it. And I was, I was kind of taking a risk because I, I'd say, hey, this is Scott, you know, I'm kind of feeling alone. I wouldn't mind. Would you mind coming over and just talking, you know, nothing big, whatever? He said, sure, I'll be there right away. And he came over. And it wasn't a long conversation, but I just told him I was, uh, I didn't know if he was feeling this way, but I was feeling lonely and missing kind of home and had some things that were on my heart. You know, should I even be here? Kind of confessed some things. And he didn't say much. He just put his hand on my shoulder and just said he would pray for me. And he just prayed for me, he asked God to forgive me, he asked God to help me. And just in those moments, it was very meaningful and something that I have always remembered. And of all the, the classes that I took and the things that teachers taught me in seminary, I may remember those moments more than any of those. It was very simple and yet profound all at the same time. And God used Daryl in that moment and in my life to be a confessor. And I looked up what a confessor is. It's a person who listened to my needs and prayed for me. In Psalm 51, David has God as his confessor to listen to his needs, to care, and to forgive him. We've all had times like David when we started down a road that maybe made a bad decision, perhaps even more bad decisions, perhaps tried to justify the first decision. We have all sinned. We are all sinners in need of a Savior and yet we too can pray with David all these thousands of years later, cleanse me, restore me, and use me. I have one more quote from Eugene Peterson. <clears throat> it's a great one, I think, to lift us up about confession and about forgiveness and about Psalm 51. He says this, if sin brings us to our knees where God can forgiveness, God's mercy puts us on our feet again to be used by God. Guilt brings us low, but forgiveness lifts us high. Let us pray. Loving God, may we make space and time this week that you could soften our hearts. God, as David did, that we can say, I am sorry. Lord, that we can say, Lord, I confess. God, that we can say, Lord, I need you. So God, cleanse us. Make us clean from mistakes and our sins. Restore us with joy and make our hearts new. And then use us wherever you call us to follow you. Help us to say those kinds of prayers to you this week. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.